This is episode 18 with CEO and designer Patti Delgado. This is Magical Humans, and I am Vania Vananina. I am an artist and creativity expert, and I am on a mission to talk to extraordinary people about their creativity, failures, wins, and everything in between. My wish is that these magical humans inspire you to take the leap and lead a creative life. Patti, welcome. Welcome to Magical Humans. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to be talking to you. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I feel so honored to be talking to this badass CEO of Hija de tu Madre. And I just I just can't wait to ask you all of the questions. Awesome. I'm ready. Thank you so much for having me. So, Patty, for someone that has never heard of you or Hija de tu Madre, how would you describe who you are, what you do, and what your brand is? So I would say Hija de tu Madre is a Latina lifestyle brand for the girl who takes her culture everywhere. That's kind of her tagline and what I keep saying. <laughs> um, it's always evolving. You know, I think like mm -hmm. when I first started it, I didn't really know what Hija de tu Madre was. I didn't really know if, if this was like more of like a Chicana thing, if this was more Mexican-American, like, like what could this be? And I think like for us to be as inclusive as possible, I think that's our, our little tagline that I just told you, that's what we're all about. That is so cool. I love that because I do feel identify with your brand and what you've created a lot because I do feel like I take my culture everywhere. So I don't know if you're also among your white friends or your non-Latino friends. I don't know if you're the only one or like the one explaining things, but I often find myself in, in that situation where my friends are like, oh, what does Chicano mean? Or, or I use an expression a lot. Like in this case, uh, if someone is listening and doesn't know Spanish, they've been hearing Hija de tu Madre all this time, but they don't know what it means. So can you tell the audience what Hija, I mean, I know, but I want you to explain it. What Hija de tu Madre means and how did you come up with that name? Yeah, so what I normally say is like Hija de tu Madre is kind of like similar to son of a bitch. It's like yeah. this very like funny phrase um, that is used can be used in like a really like with a lot of profanity like you mm -hmm. could say hija de tu bleep mother yes. um but the literal translation means like daughter of your mother and it's just like a way to describe like really like reckless women or like women who kind of do whatever they want i think that it could be offensive but in my case i think it's normally used like endearingly and mm -hmm. kind of like more humorous I mean, we've all heard this phrase growing up, yes. right? And the reason why I settled with that name is because I used to have a blog. And when I was living in Mexico City and traveling, my blog was called Hija de tu Madre. Mm. And when I started the business, I was like, this is actually kind of perfect. And I think it would make a lot of sense for the type of customer that I want to attract and empower. So I think that this is a really fitting name to call the brand Hija de tu Madre. Yes, <laughs> I love this. And I do, yeah, and Hija de tu Madre can be used, uh, you know, with a lot of profanity, but also like um, in a funny, endearing way. And also, if you, like as you explained, the literal translation is daughter of your mother, and that is so powerful. And that is something that it's so cultural because the relationship with our, with our mothers uh, in the Latina community, it's like so big. 
No matter if it's good or bad, if it's a good or bad relationship, it doesn't matter. But it's such a big relationship. Like it's a, it's a big part of your life. So I love that. Were your parents raised in Mexico or in the U.S.? Yeah. So both of my parents were raised in Mexico. They're both from a small town called San Juan de los Lagos in Jalisco. Mm -hmm. And they both moved when they got married. They both came to here, L.A. That's so cool. And then in what capacity is your mom involved with your business? <laughs> so my mom is my accountant. So she knows all my dirty financial. <laughs> Man, she has the power. Like she has the job. <laughs> really? She really does. Um, it's, it's like a very like frustrating dynamic because... You know, she obviously doesn't hold back. <laughs> <laughs> And she knows all the things. Yeah, she knows everything. But um, no, we have like a really good relationship. Like my parents are very supportive. And, you know, like even though I don't live with my family anymore, they're still very much involved. And they come to my events. And if my dad's here and I need him to go to the post office, he'll go to the post office. So um, they're just like my biggest fans, to be quite honest. That is so cute. And it's also so Mexican, of course. Like one, if you're Mexican, you can't have one thing for yourself. Even if that's like cereal or a business, it's like every everyone has to be involved. So true. And then I read something that you posted the other day and I'm so curious if it's true. I'm just amazed. But I didn't know if it was a joke or if it was true. I read that your dad manages your Facebook page for Hija de Tu Madre. <laughs> No, he doesn't. I I joke because okay. my dad lives on Facebook, <laughs> so I always joke like you. <laughs> you're like a director del face because yes. like you're always sharing like everything that I share. It doesn't matter what it is. Like he'll like reshare it. Oh, I'm like I should just like give him this job because he already does it without getting paid. That is so sweet and so funny. I know that now hija de tu madre is you know, like a big established thing. But um, I remember a few years ago, you start, everything started with 30 denim jackets that you were, that you not, do you say embroider or do you applicate sequins to do a Virgencita jacket? And you had a $500 budget. So I want to know what, Were you thinking? What were you feeling? Is it something that you just wanted to get your craft on? Or was it like, no, I want to create something for my fellow Latinas? Like, what were you feeling? What's the why of Hija de Tu Madre? Yeah, so I launched the fall of 2016. So this is right around like the Trump election. There's like a lot of like really like negative conversations about like immigrants and kind of like the future of like Latinos in the United States. So I think during that time, I felt like really inclined to be closer to my community and really be closer to my roots and just feel like really empowered to be Latina, to be Mexican American, and then the daughter of immigrants. So I had this idea for the Vitencita jacket. I made one for myself. And it's essentially, it was like my old Levi's jacket. And I had this like applique of La Vita de Guadalupe that I like hand stitched on. And as soon as I made it, I just knew that 
this would instantly resonate with like other like-minded Latinas, people who also feel really proud of their culture, maybe people who come from immigrant families. And I just knew like this would be a hit. And that was really it. I, like you mentioned, I started with $500. I made 30 jackets and just like threw up a little Squarespace website and took pictures with my friends wearing the jacket. And then that eventually grew into what is now my business. That is amazing. And I love that it started with a um, form of belonging. You know, it was, it's, it, you didn't, I mean, eventually you set up to build this amazing brand to serve the Latina community, but it's, it came from within. You're like, you know what? I really want to be reminded of my roots and my culture, and I'm going to make this thing for me. And, and then that grew. And I love when things, this, for me, this is just a really important moment where I'm talking to this badass Latina CEO and founder and designer and to know how it really started, you know, because I feel like there's a lot of businesses that have a story where from the beginning they set up to like, oh, I'm going to make this to make money, which is totally fine and cool. But it just came from within for it was a form of connecting to your culture. And that's really powerful. Definitely. I think that like having that cultural connection has always been really important. And I think even for our customers too, I think that I think they really understand like what it means to like be in an Ivy League school or be in the corporate office and you're wearing this jacket that has like the Mexican flag or like the Peruvian flag or La Virgen de Guadalupe. So I think our customers like really want to take up space and just feel really empowered. And I think that's ultimately what we're selling. That is amazing. And, you know, of course, it also resonates a big time with me because I'm Mexican and I'm living in the U.S. and I've lived abroad before. And when you, if anything, when you are in a culture or an environment where that is different from what you grew up or that you're familiar with, it, it your roots just come out and... I don't know, like representation. I'm I'm all about representation and representation really matters. Absolutely. So I have a few like business questions for you, but I also want to know, you know, the, the human side of Patty. I'm curious about the first dollar that you ever earned. Um, the first dollar that I ever earned was in the fifth grade. I... Like a lot of Mexican kids, you know, like you grow up swinging and selling stuff. And at that time, my parents had this Mexican candy business. So they would like distribute like pulparindos, like stuff like that type of candy to like different grocery stores. And so like I would take candy <laughs> from their warehouse. Which By taking, you mean Stealing from your parents. <laughs> yeah, I would steal from my parents' warehouse and my parents' <laughs> warehouse was our garage. And I would like go to school and I would sell candy. So it was like a very profitable business because I didn't have any expenses of stealing all my inventory. <laughs> um, so that was one. That was, yeah, I think that was like really kind of like my first hand at like earning money. <laughs> 
That's amazing. I did sell candy at some point. You're right. I think Latinos, Mexicans especially, we have this, you know, like the hustle vein. And we're always like, okay, how can I make more with less? Or how can I seize this opportunity and optimize my resources? <laughs> right. I think it's wildly creative, but you found it, what you, well, created. Talk to me about your creative process. When you, like, did you know, when did you learn how to sew or applique? When you were making that first jacket that was for yourself, how... Like, how was it? Do you have like a stash of like sewing uh, things laying around or you went to buy it? Like, how was, talk me through that. So I don't have any like formal sewing experience or like even like fashion experience. I have absolutely none. The sewing was pretty easy because it's essentially kind of like sewing like a patch on a jacket. So it's like a very simple, like up and down stitch motion that like my abuelita taught me a million years ago. And yeah, I think that when I founded the business, like I was on like my parents' couch. So like I would just watch Netflix all day and then sew like 20 jackets in one day. Wow. So I, it was really like scrappy. It was like very like, I don't have any pictures from that time because like to me it was so embarrassing. Like that I would just like sew jackets all day in my parents' living room. But it was like very humble beginnings. And I... And I really kind of like taught myself technique and like even my mom would help me sew the jackets too. So really humble, but it wasn't very complicated. You just spiritually kicked my butt because what you just said about being in the couch, watching Netflix and sewing, that you found that embarrassing. So you didn't uh, document it because you're like, uh, I'm just like chilling here. This is like, I'm not going to share this. This is not like a big moment. But Patty, you were featured on Forbes.com. You are a Tory Burch Foundation fellow. Congratulations on that. That just happened. I mean, that is huge. And it's, if we think about, I, this is why I wanted to create this podcast, to showcase the humanness uh, of creatives Because so often we see like, oh, they did this and they just say like, yeah, you know, it's the hustle. I work really hard. But they didn't, They don't share these things. Like I was on my parents' couch just sewing and watching Netflix and I thought that was embarrassing. But if we look back at it, in, you know, in hindsight, it's so unique and, and beautiful. And, you know, I feel like, I don't know how you feel like, oh, if you had pictures of that, would you share it now? But me as a consumer, as a person in the world, I would definitely be beyond inspired to know that you're now this badass jefa, you know, just like making money moves, making jefa moves. And you started in a couch. You know, that not only gives me hope and inspiration, but also it empowers me. So thank you for sharing that. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I think that um, like entrepreneurship is like so glamorized. And yes, sometimes it's like we just like focus so much like on the wins. But I've definitely like failed a lot. And I think that like, you know, now I have like this cute office and now there's like employees. But, you know, it never it, was, it didn't start out that way. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, I think it's really humbling. And I think it's really important for you know, even people who want to start their own business or start their own like creative journey to know that like the struggle's real and it's not pretty. 
<laughs> yeah, and I exactly I think entrepreneurship definitely I I especially felt it in this last year. It's so glamorized, and it's not a, it's not it's it's the same thing like with self care. Self care is not just bath bombs and candles. It's so much more. So thank you for sharing that. Okay, you made that jacket for yourself. Then you're like, okay, I'm going to make more because this is resonating with people. So you threw up that uh, Squarespace site and you had these 30 jackets. And then what happened after? Did they sell out really fast? I'm curious in how it escalated until what Hija de tu Madre is today. So it wasn't until about a week or two weeks that I actually started selling jackets because I had befriended somebody who used to who works out of the mesclad.com as a writer and so like I tried to like be internet friends with her and so she included me in a gift guide mm. and that really changed things for me because then it was like a holiday gift guide and so then like all this website traffic and all these orders started coming in because of that And then I just started getting more organic press. And I think um, the organic press really helped with the brand awareness and then like with people becoming more familiar with the brand and just like word of mouth. So I think like the press word of mouth, like really helped kind of get the name across. And then I was also really committing myself to social media. And even to this day, like we make most of our money through social media. So I just knew that Instagram would be like the best outlet for me to bring in new customers. I also read that even right now, your biggest sales funnel is Instagram, right? That's how you get most of your customers coming in. Yeah. So like 90, I think the numbers might be a little different right now, but it, about like 90% of our website traffic comes from Instagram and then 70% of our sales come from Instagram. So it's pretty, pretty big. That is, Yeah. I'm speechless on how I've been thinking about this a lot this last week, like how social media has changed our dynamics. As Hija de tu Madre was developing and you were at the same time, you know, like a baby makes a mother, this project and this brand was making you a jefa and a CEO and a boss. So what was the hardest lesson you've had to learn so far? I think for me, it, and it's like a reoccurring theme. It's like this question of like uh, control versus growth. And like, what kind of founder are you? Are you one that's control oriented? Or are you one that's like growth oriented? And I can't, like, I can't even answer that question because <laughs> I, I think that like as much as I want to grow, it's like really hard for me to let go of control. I'm a Virgo. So it's just like really hard to delegate or even to just kind of like trust the process sometimes. Mm. So I think like that scene comes up a lot in like, you know, even when you're hiring or like when you're ready to go to the next step in your career or like bring in advisors or investors, like, is this something that I'm always struggling with? And I don't think there's a balance, but it's something that I'm always thinking about. Thank you for sharing that too. As a CEO, as a jefa, jefa means boss in Spanish. And it's like a really, it's it's literally, you know, like the boss of something like, oh, it's, it's the person that you respond to. But also it has the badass connotation of being, you know, the boss, la jefa. 
So, so you people know. As a jefa CEO, what is your favorite tool or resource? Either for your business or your life? Um, there's like a couple of different Instagram accounts that I follow that have been like a really great resource to me. So for example, there's like this Instagram page called Hire Women that I follow and like they post a lot about like like events that are happening in my area, like different resources for like, I don't know, like starting a business or like social media growth. So I follow quite a few of like pages. I think that like, you know, like in, are like one, like entertaining, but also like sort of as like a resource of information. And mm -hmm. then two, I'm currently in an accelerator program. So it's kind of like, um, it's like a summer boot camp for like startups. And uh, that's been like a really big resource for me to have like this community of different founders who are also struggling. And you can find an accelerator program anywhere, really, that just like holds you accountable, you know, like we're all struggling to like make sales, or we're struggling to like hire someone or to take our company to the next step. So I think like, I think my biggest resource is once I really think about it is like just finding community. Cause I think like once you find people who are kind of like in a similar stage as you, you're really able to help each other and just kind of serve as a sounding board for like really good advice. That is so useful. It's so useful it, literally, but also like just to hear it is reminding me of, you know, reaching out for, for, more resources or help or just like-minded individuals that are going through the same thing. Talking about hiring, what is the structure of Hija de tu Madre? You, we now know that your mom is the accountant and your dad is, is the Facebook person. <laughs> I know you're a designer, you're the CEO. So how, do you have any employees? Do you have contractors? Like how does, what is the backstage of Hija de tu Madre look like? So we have one person who helps with production. So like the jacket production, since that's like a lot of handmade work. So we have someone who takes care of that. And then we also have someone who takes care of social media, since that's like such a big part of like my company. If we don't post on social media, we don't make any money. So yes. that's another job. And then of course, like I wear a million hats. And then even my cousin, um, he helps me from time to time with like events when we do pop-ups and yeah, I have like a lot of little helpers everywhere. That is amazing. What you just shared about, you know, social media, I think just because I think I'm still unlearning a lot of things about being a business person and in the, what you said about you know, definitely having a social media person, because if we don't post, we don't make money. A lot of people might think like, oh, that's an expense that you can, you don't really have to pay someone to do that. But it's so important. And it's it's just uh, great to hear that you give it the, not only the respect, but you know, the power that it has, the the place that it has in your company, because that is, if you think about it, you know, if you're like down to like bottom line, no posts, no sales. So then there's no company. Absolutely. I think that it's definitely, so like especially in service, it's like very important in terms of like the sales and revenue portion. But also I think like the customer is on Instagram. So I think like for us to like, because we prioritize like customer relationships so much that 
I think for us, it's just kind of like the easiest way for us to be in our customers' lives and to know like, what does our customer want next? Like what kind of products are they interested in? What's like, what's trending? So I think like being really online in terms of like social media really helps us determine like the next move, whether it's like a product selection or an event um, and just like really listen to customer feedback. And how do you do that? Do you ask them point blank, like, hey, do you like this, like on a post or do you do on stories, do you do polls or do you like, how do you get to know them more? So I don't know if you remember, but like last, we launched a 2019 planner in December last year. And that whole, that planner sold out in 45 minutes. And I think the reason why it did so well was because the customer was so involved in like, so many decisions, like even down to like the font, the color, like where, how we should place like the dates and the months and weeks. And I think we would do that like on story polls. And then I would ask questions and then I would show them like mock-ups, like, what do you, what do you think about this one or this one? And so I think like having like this very transparent customer dialogue has really helped to our benefit because it's like the customer likes it is going to sell. If the customer doesn't like it, it's not even worth my time. And mm. I've definitely made that mistake many times where like, I think something is so cool and I think that this is going to sell out and no one cares. <laughs> For me, it's really important to have this very like close dialogue with our customers because that's essentially who's going to buy our products. I love that you're sharing this because I've experienced the same thing. I'm like, this is going to be the bestseller of the season. And I make something and then it's just crickets. And yeah, you have to pay attention and listen to what they want, which is also a very fine line, I feel, when you're a maker of, do you want to be making things that sell or do you want to make what brings you joy or like what you want to make? I feel like you need to find a balance. Do you have something to say about that? For me, like my creative process is just like I have an idea for something. I open up an illustrator file and I start working on it. And then I get customer feedback on it. And I think for like, I I find the whole process to be enjoying. Like even the feedback to me is like so exciting. So I think like for me, like enjoying the whole cycle of what it is to create something from start to finish is like my true passion. I think it's not just like designing in the illustrator. It's like everything, you know, from like the illustrator file to like production, to packaging, to fulfillment. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I, for me, it's like, I can't just like love the design part. I have to love everything. And I mean, so far so good. I mean, it's still painful and I still cry all the time (laughs) because I get frustrated, but (laughs) I enjoy the whole painful process. Good, good. That means that you're really, you know, in love with what you're doing. That's great. Even even the ugly crying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What is something that you failed at? A very particular moment isn't coming to mind right now, mm-hmm. but I like to think that I fail every single day and that I succeed every single day. Oh. And I think for me it 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 feels healthier <laughs> because um then your expectations are lower, you know, and like you start to become more accustomed as a CEO to like put out fires. And I feel like a big part of my job is like problem solving. So like when you start to accept problems and just like focus on the solution, I think that 
your relationship with like failure and success just becomes so much easier because that's just part of running a company. I don't know if that makes sense. It does. And it's a, and I think it's a really cool perspective because if you embrace it that much, when you're like, I'm failing and winning every day, ex it, exactly. It, it becomes less of a burden or a big fear thing. And it's just like, oh, it's going to happen anyway. So I'm, I might as well just like embrace it. Absolutely. And I think that's like kind of like a hard lesson to learn too, is that like, you know, especially when you're dealing with so many moving parts, like you mm -hmm. are in like a fashion or a retail business. Um, there's just so many things that are, are out of your control, right? Like if the factory ships something late or like if something gets stuck at customs, like there's just so many things <laughs> like just are not up to me. And yes. I think just like letting go of that um, just makes me sleep better at night, you know, even though it is stressful. I think it's just like there's only so much you can do. No, you're you're right. I'm curious about what specific roadblocks have you encountered in your entrepreneurial journey? So I think the first one would definitely have to be like financial literacy, because I don't really come from like, even though my mom is an accountant, you know, I think that like, there's still so much I don't know about finances, like savings, margins, like there's still so much that I need to know. And I think that was really hard for me in the beginning because like I didn't really know how much I was really profiting. Mm. Like I would just be like, oh, I'll just charge this amount. And I made money. Cool. Yeah. 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 Which I think happens to a lot of us, right? Like we don't really think about like how much am I really paying myself? How much was yes. the cost of labor or the cost of materials? So I think that was really a big lesson in the early days. And then two, I think the other road. I wouldn't say roadblock, but like challenge is like, I'm at a stage in my company where I'm ready to like talk to investors and I'm ready to kind of like take Ihez Mother to the next step. Mm -hmm. And I think like the people who I'm normally speaking to are like white folks. And so I think like it's hard to explain one, what Ihez Mother is yes, so that they can understand it because there's like a cultural barrier. And I think too, like to convince, you know, these white millionaires that, you know, Latinas really are the future and we're a huge buying power and no one is getting us the way my company gets us. Mm -hmm. So I feel like those conversations are kind of challenging because they're so rooted in culture, but I'm trying. You, I think you're doing a great job in, I, where do I, I'm speechless because it just, something you said, so I am a visual artist and I create experiences that spark joy. And for me, my jam is making art and connecting with people. And I love that. And also, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I have to think about my production and my inventory. And if I participate, if I have stockists or if I participate in a craft market, that kind of thing, which is, you know, the, the whole side of the business that is not creative which is like the administrative work and, and that kind of thing. But because of my work and the places that it takes me, I've met so many people. And I'm usually super excited when I meet a fellow uh, Latino person. And I met a, a girl, she's Colombian American, and she took one of my ceramics workshops and she was telling me, what her dream was. Like now she does uh, photography and journalism for 
a organization, but her real dream is to have these minority, queer, inclusive event space, like a venue where people can come in and just be who they are and grab a drink or maybe see some open mic poetry or like a a musical act or something. And where I'm going with this is that hearing her dream made me want to be a millionaire or a billionaire even more because I want to have the resources to support fellow Latinos and, and businesses where, you know, it's, it's exactly like you said, I wish at this moment I was a billionaire. So instead of you going to talk to white, straight millionaire guys, I could be like, Patty, here you go. Here's five million. Like, you know what I mean? Just like supporting and empowering your community. And I feel we're getting there. I feel like in the near future, we won't have to address only like white straight investors. Right. No, I totally agree. It's definitely, I don't know. I don't, it's frustrating, right? It's like, I understand like how capitalism is like this big beast. And, but I think also like for a community that doesn't have a lot of wealth or like a lot of financial knowledge or literacy, I feel like it's our job to kind of do our best to like reinvest in our communities. And yes. even if it's just like starting on a smaller scale, right? Like buying a taco from your like local taquero as opposed yes. to like some cool hipster spot. Like it can just start like on a really small level. Yes. And then I, I don't remember where I read this, but the amount of time that a dollar that you spend in the Latino community stays within the Latino community is amazing. Like, for example, if you go and buy a taco from your local taquero, which is, you know, a Mexican family run business, you buy a taco from them. And then, you know, those dollars they use to go to Mexican tiendas to buy their produce or their, you know, ingredients. And then they go to a store in their community run by maybe another Latino family. So then they give their dollars to that family and you know, it just keeps growing. I think we, as you said, uh, we as um, as consumers in as service providers and makers, uh, we are a force to be reckoned with. And the world is just noticing that. What is your dream collaboration with Hija de Tu Madre? Like what, what do you see now that you're planning to take Hija de Tu Madre to the next level? Like what would be your, what is your dream collaboration? So I think... <laughs> Um, I, I want to keep putting this out into the universe, but I'd really want to make shoes. So I'd love to do something with like Vans or Converse or Nike, mm. like a really big, like legacy shoe brand. I'd love to keep collaborating with my community on like different collections. There's like so many great artists and like, uh, there's just like so much we could do together. But yeah, I think shoes, some kind of shoe collaboration is something that I would really, really love. That sounds so... I just imagine like some embroidered vans, slip-ons with virgencitas like on the front. Speaking about, you know, creating things, what is the most creative thing you've ever done? The most creative thing I've ever done. You know, even though it's, it's sold out, I think I'm really proud of our 2019 Echaleganas planner because... I don't, I personally have never seen like a bilingual planner on the market mm -hmm. before. 
And the planner that I made had like every Latin American, almost a lot of Latin American holidays. And it had a lot of like um, every month was dedicated to a different mujer of color. And I think like I've never had like an office tool like that that made me feel like so seen and just kind of like inspired to keep using a planner. Um, Because like, you know how planners are like once like March comes around, like you forget about it. I think like this planner just like is so special to me that um, and it was so much work to be like six months to make it to just design it. So I think that that's something that I feel that was like my most creative endeavor to date. And I think it's such a meaningful endeavor too. like you said, like you hadn't seen any bilingual planners And it wasn't only bleak bilingual, where it was like, lunes, Monday. You know, it had like, you know, cool things. It wasn't just like planner, agenda. Like, no, it was, you know, like cool things that, like you said, make you feel seen. And I I think that that's so important. What has been your bestseller so far? Yeah, so definitely our Vitencita jacket, for sure. That's our like OG. Um, The planner did really well. And I think our jewelry does really well, too. So, like, for example, like, our Bruja hoop did mm-hmm. so well. We, like, keep bringing them back because, like, our customers just want them. Um, we had – we also don't have them anymore, but hopefully, like, plan on restocking. Um, we made these necklaces that had, like, different Latin American countries on them. Mm-hmm. So, like, Costa Rica, Cuba, and those did – so well because again like you don't really see stuff like that i'm curious sorry to interrupt is it the silhouette or the name of the country it was the name of the country so yeah i mean i get emails to bring those back like every single week so i think i have to bring them back but yeah i think that um i'm noticing a trend it's like definitely stuff that is very unique to us that our customers never see anywhere else and like you know, pieces that feel like they're reclaiming a piece of identity. So like Bruja for sure. And then like countries, I think that, you know, our customer like has like this really strong relationship with their like homeland or like their family's homeland. And they just like want to wear that as much as possible. So those are typically our best sellers. Mm. What is a day in the life of Patti Delgado, CEO of Hija de tu Madre? Um, so every day is a little bit different. So normally I'll work out in the morning. <laughs> I'll finish working out and then I'll have like a million phone calls and emails to respond to. So I'll normally like block out that time to catch up on those things. And then we have a social media manager. So like I'll also like try to be as hands on there in terms of like what our marketing is going to look like for the whole week. And then what else should I do? I'll probably have like a meeting or two and I'll just like pick up the slack wherever, like whatever needs to be done that day, you know, like mm-hmm. whether we need to like prepare jackets or if I need to go pick up t-shirts from our t-shirt printer. Um, and then also like setting aside time every day to kind of like plan for like what's next. So like either like designing a product or like thinking about the next collection or like getting quotes from different vendors. That's kind of what my day looks like. And then I'll go home and then I'll check email for like another hour and then I'll go to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) What is a toy you always wanted but never had? 
Do you remember Furbies? Yes, I never had one and I always wanted one. <laughs> They're so creepy. It's probably a good thing that I never got one. <laughs> but yeah, I remember when they came out, I really, really, really wanted one. And then we they were like sold out. Like we couldn't get one at any of the Toys R Us in our area. Mm. Um, so yeah, I just like never got one. But I think I might go buy myself one just to have it. <laughs> yeah, I just re- you made me remember. So like one of my best friends, she had she and her sister had a Furby. And, you know, it was like, whoa, can I play with it? But I do remember that they were creepy because when I would sleep over, sometimes the fucking Furby would like turn on in the middle of the night. And it's like, oh, my God. Yeah, so crazy. What is a moment when you feel magical? I think I feel really magical when I push myself to do something that I didn't think I was ever able to do, you know? So like maybe even like on a physical level, you know, I think just like challenging my body and like I can feel myself becoming stronger, Mm. but also even like getting into this, getting this grant, you know, was such a hard application and I really had to push myself to finish it and just finishing the application felt like success enough, you know, like, but I spent all this time telling my story, putting together my business plan and um, just like being able to say like I finished and I applied just felt like so nice. And then the fact that I even got the award, like that obviously made the success even sweeter. Yeah. So I think I just feel magical when I'm like constantly testing my limits of what I can achieve. That's a really powerful stance. Go Patty. Are you familiar with grief? What is your relationship with grief? Grief in sense of like losing someone close to you. Yes. I mean, in terms of like act like people like passing away or like losing loved ones in that regard, I'm not as familiar because I just haven't had that really happen to me. But I think that I even like in breakups or like friendship breakups, like I think there's definitely like a grief phase or like business partners or like employees, like. I feel like those relationships also feel like grief when you, you know, someone's been such a big part of your life. And like, what do you do now when they're not there, but all the memories still exist? Like even right now, I think like I'm grieving (laughs) because of like a person, like friendships and then romantic relationships, you know, or even professional ones. Because they're losses at the end of the day. No, they totally are losses. And it's kind of like, well, what do you do now? Like, what do you do next? Yeah. I don't know. When is your ego checked? Um, I think my ego is checked when I get feedback that I don't like. Mm-hmm. And then I really have to ask myself, like, why don't I like the feedback? And is it because, like, it hurts, it's embarrassing, or, like, it, or it, does it hurt because they're right, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. always, like, really checking myself and, like, why is it that my ego feels hurt? Mm. And is this feedback like worth considering? Patty, I think I need to have that like printed somewhere and just look at it to do a a close introspection and reflection of when I get feedback. Like, oh, why am I hurting? You are a wise, wise soul. I love learning like hard facts about you as a businesswoman or as a business owner and about your business. But also, I feel it's very holistic or wholesome, the approach you have. 
How is your relationship with pleasure? Um, I don't think I have a very good relationship with pleasure because I'm probably a workaholic. Like I really don't know how to enjoy myself. <laughs> like I went to I went to Thailand earlier this year for two weeks, and like by the fourth day, I wanted to come back home because I just wanted to work. Oh my god! Yeah, I'm a, I'm crazy. So. Yeah, I, I think that's like a relationship that I'm still working on. And even my family tells me all the time, like, you need to chill. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, like, I just, I really enjoy working and I'm really happy working. But I think like my boundaries in terms of like pleasure and work and like private alone time are like really blurred. So I need to really work on that. Mm. What has been your biggest fuck up? I think that one of my like earlier mistakes was I think like not understanding my value or like brand value mm. and letting people so for example like you you work in art so like I'm sure like people tell you all the time like this is too expensive I could have just made this myself yes and it, like their feedback is really coming from a place of like I don't understand your value so I'm going to make you feel bad because like I can't afford it and like while it's okay like not everyone can afford your art or whatever that's very understandable but I think oftentimes I would let that type of feedback like really hurt me and like really start to like question my value and like undervalue my time and work and I think like I will never do that again <laughs> like and I I think like my p- biggest piece of advice is like when thinking about your worth or like how to price is like you should really price based on what you want and like your value as opposed to like what someone's willing to pay for that. And I feel like that was really my biggest fuck up is like just like not respecting my time and value. Boom. That is. Oh, my God. I just got chills. Yes. I'm going to listen to this episode when it's published. I'm going to listen to it every day to remind myself of my value and my culture. And I love this. Okay. So speaking of culture, what is your favorite kind of taco? Oh, my God. So I really like carnitas with some kind of like salsa verde or like Ugh. salsa de aguacate or something like, yeah. So good now. You're making me hungry, but I appreciate your selection of taco. Good, good. And then last question. Do you have any crazy travel stories to share with us? I don't know if it's crazy, but I had like a really rough experience when I went to Cuba a couple years ago. So for people who don't know, like in Cuba, it's like really hard to get internet. Uh-huh. And a lot of like the websites are blocked, like PayPal, Bank of America, stuff like that are like blocked. So my boyfriend at the time had to like, I don't know how he did this, but he hacked the Cuban internet so that we could book an Airbnb. <laughs> It was like, oh my God, the Cuban government, I'm like never going to be allowed to go back to Cuba, watch. But anyways, <laughs> the, um, we couldn't book an Airbnb. And so I don't know how he did it. But he broke the internet and we finally booked the Airbnb so we could stay one more night. And oh my that God. was it. <laughs> and, and wait, and you did the same thing in China? So in China too, a lot of the inter- like a lot of American websites are blocked. So like Google, Gmail, stuff like that, Google Maps. Mm. And so similar thing, like I don't know how this guy does it. 
but he just like found a way so that I could like check my Instagram because Instagram's also blocked and I was having a meltdown. <laughs> and so he like got me my Instagram. So I was okay for the rest of the trip. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for your time, for being so generous, sharing your story and in your challenges and your wins and fails. I am just giddy and happy about this conversation and I cannot wait to meet you in person and give you a giant hug and go eat carnitas tacos and do all the things. Thank you so much, Patty. I, I am so grateful for you, the work you do. Representation matters so much to me and knowing that, you know, I'm not a mother yet, but knowing that my kids are going to grow up somewhere where more and more brands are going to be, you know, like related to their culture. That's that's really sweet. And it's, you know, a generational shift. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you so much. No, I, I know we've been following each other for like a really long time. So I'm really glad we finally like are actually talking. You know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I, I would love to like keep building this relationship with you because I think your art and the things that you're working on are also so important and so community oriented. So I appreciate you as well. Oh, thank you, Patty. Where can people find you? So you can follow me at Party Skinny on Instagram, and then you can keep up to date with all things Ihazumadre at Ihazumadre on Instagram and Ihazumadre.com. Awesome. This is what I am taking away from my conversation with Patti. Number one, take your culture everywhere. Number two, if you're starting a business and feel ashamed slash embarrassed of your humble beginnings, don't. Those precious moments are the core foundation of your business. You'll be proud of sharing those details with Forbes and Oprah later on. Number three, be the kind of business person you want to see in the world. Take time to identify what is important to you and put it into practice. Number four, nurture your relationship with success as well as your relationship with failure. It will bring clarity into your life. Number five, invest in yourself by learning about money. Money, money, money. Financial literacy is underrated and it can make a huge difference in your life. Number six, Sometimes negative feedback comes from a place of confusion. When people tell you your product or service is too expensive, their feedback comes from a place of, I don't really understand your value, so I'm going to make you feel bad because I can't afford it. So then ask yourself, is this feedback worth considering? Number seven, respect your time and value as well as other people's time and value. Okay, one more time for the folks in the back. Respect your time and value. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and you feel a little bit more inspired, more magical, more human. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the show. Say hello to me on Instagram and tell me what resonated with you or what did you like the most about today's episode. If anything you listened to made you think of someone, please go share it with them. The world is a better place when we make each other feel seen. And again, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. I see you, I hear you, I love you. Talk to you next week. 
Bye. This show is produced by Annie Fassler of Puddle Creative with music by Megan Diana and cover art by Vania Vananina, that's me, and Maya Busby. Thank you.